Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca. Good morning. All right, guys, it's good to uh, catch up. You want to have a seat? And uh, we want to get into things here. Um, Hopefully this last week you guys were able to be a part of uh, some of the different activities we had with Rick and Lucia. They did a conference uh, the last two days. They also did a men's event, women's event, youth event, staff, you know, so they've had a very, very full week. But... Um, you've probably seen their resources on your way in this morning. Just encourage you to take advantage of that. It's been a huge blessing having them here, uh, looking at, you know, just the different problems that you and I uh, go through in life and how to uh, think of those things from a biblical perspective. Uh, how, do we, uh, how do we work through things like depression and anxiety and those kinds of things from uh, the Word of God? And so... Um, really great time together and great resources there. So just encourage you guys to take advantage of that. Well, this text this morning that we're going to look at, um, I was sharing with uh, the, the, the prayer team this morning, um, is one of those texts that if you preach topically, you may never preach, right? Uh, when I read it on Monday, I was like, okay. What am I supposed to say for Sunday? You know, uh, wasn't wasn't jumping out real quick. So, um, so now you're excited to get into it, right? Um, but the, what we're going to be looking at is the death of Sarah, the death of Sarah, and and uh, the the consequence of that, and the need to find a place to bury Sarah. It's going to be the focus of the text. But I want us to stop and think about how we view death. How you view death uh, impacts the way that you live life today. And, um, you know, whether this is your first time to church or not, I think we can all agree we will all die, right? Uh, Even the atheists, you know, they believe that they're going to die someday. Everybody uh, has that viewpoint and, and how we deal with that aspect of death and its impending time, we, it, it says a lot about where your faith is at. I mean, some people live life with the knowledge that they will die someday, but they're going to do everything they can to stop it, right? And so yeah, I'm not, I can't stay away from these foods, and I can't do that thing, and I got to do these exercises, and you're still going to die, Okay. And, and, and that's great. You should live a healthy life. That's great. But you'll just die a healthy person you know, eventually. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then there's people who, who, who are just consumed by death. That's all they think about. Like, I'm going to die someday. I'm going to die someday. And so they don't really live life. That's a problem as well. And, and so how do you view death? Is it, is it like, is it the end? Is that how you see it? Or if you're a person of faith, you ought to see it as, an opportunity, right? It is the culmination. It is the, this, the finish line. It is, you're crossing the finish line into eternity. That, that's, that's how we should view death. Uh, none of us knows the day, right? We're not born with an expiration date stamped on us, right? Good till November 22nd, 2028. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not how it works, Right? And so we live with the knowledge that we will pass from this earth, and that knowledge that we will pass ought to shape the way we live today. Between now and then, there will be plenty of ups and downs of life, but through it all, we ought to live in such a way that we have hope. And that's what I want to be looking at this morning. We see as we're going to be looking at Sarah's death that Abraham mourns, but he does so with hope. And, uh, and that way, that ought to be the case for all of us who are in faith here today. And if you're not yet in faith, I pray that even by the time we're done here this morning, you would recognize that Jesus has made a way 
that you could know and have life eternal. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into the text. Lord, we thank you for um, your word. It is so rich, Lord, as we meditate upon it, as we uh, look into it, Lord, there, there's, it's, there's so much to see. And God, I, I thank you that you are the author of life, but Lord, you're also the Lord over death. And so God, we come to you today, not fearing death, but Lord, anticipating, Lord, the, the day when we will be in your presence. God, we, we come wanting, Lord, to be faithful to you. And as such, God, I pray that we would have a biblical perspective on death and, Lord, that in line with that, that, Lord, we would live with hope. And so, God, would you lead this preacher today? Would you help him to speak your word clearly, Lord, that we might know you more? It's your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so everybody needs a Bible. If you don't have one, just go ahead and slip up your hands. Uh, we want to be looking at Genesis 23. This morning, we're actually going to just read it through right off the bat. So Genesis 23, if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, uh, just put up your hand. The ushers are happy to get a copy to you. So Genesis 23 this morning, and we're going to read through the whole chapter, and then we're going to break it down together. Genesis 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. In the land of Canaan, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which, is, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as a property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, all who went in, and, uh, in at the gate of the city, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me. I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named, named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Melchipah, sorry, Machpelah, which was at the, to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of, the gate of, the city, of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. Three facts about death as we face it with hope. Three facts about death as we face it with hope. First, death is not normal. Mourn with hope. Death is not normal. Mourn with hope. As we look at the first two verses of Genesis 23, we just see uh, how significant Sarah was. Sarah, um, we are told how, what her lifespan was, that it was 127 years. She is the only woman in the entire Bible who we learn how long exactly she lived, uh, that her lifespan is indicated here. She's likely been married to Abraham for over 100 years. 
We're not told her exact marriage date, but married for around 100 years. I'm not sure what they received for the 100-year gift for marriage. <laughs> Somebody actually looked it up last service, because um, <laughs> that is something you need to worry about here on earth uh, these days, 100 years of being married. Um, and it's been about 37 years since Isaac was born. He was 37 years old when Sarah dies. It's been 62 years since they land, uh, left the land of Ur. Yeah, so almost half her life, she lived in a foreign land as a sojourner, as a foreigner. And, and uh, she's had all this time with her husband, Abraham. She dies at a place called Kiriath Arba, which can be translated city of four. Uh, the idea here is that likely referring to four confederated settlements of families at the time. And, and so that's what it was named after. And then later, by the time Moses writes this, it's known as Hebron. And, and so we, we read of her death. It's a time to mourn. This is what we read of Abraham, that he went in and he mourned the death of his wife, that he wept for her. This is the appropriate response to death. Now, I, I said that death is not normal in the outline here. And, and, and you might be like, okay, you're already contradicting yourself, Pastor. You said that we're all going to die, and then you say it's not normal. Well, I want, I, want to, I want to just make the point. It's not normal in the sense that when God created the heavens and the earth, there was no death on this earth. Uh, creation was perfect in every way. Man, woman, able to come into the presence of God. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see that it was good. It was very good. It's not until Genesis 3 that death comes to this world. God had warned Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would result in death. So they thought about that. They listened to the counsel of Satan. And Satan's like, come on, they're just keeping back from you. God's just keeping back from you. That's what's really going on here. And so they choose to walk in rebellion against God's command. That's called sin. And as a result of sin, there has been the curse of death on this earth ever since. Every man, every woman, whoever lives, dies. Yes, there were two exceptions, right? Enoch and Elijah. But I would not bank on being an Enoch and Elijah here today, okay? Unless the Lord returns, we will, at one day, we'll, we'll pass from this earth. And this was what happened to Sarah. She has died. We're not told the circumstances behind her death, what she was sick from, or, or whether it was sudden. We, we're, we're not told how she died. You know, we, we get death certificates now, you know, like this died of heart failure, usually a lot bigger words than that, but for you and I, it's like, you know, heart failure, cancer, traumatic, you know, whatever, as a result of a car accident. You know, there's all these different things. But, but I want us to hear this morning that the ultimate reason for your death certificate is sin. For the wages of sin is death. That's why there is death on this world, in this world today. And, and so when we experience death, when, we, when someone we love dies, we ought to mourn, we ought to weep. But, but there's, there's not just the missing of the person, there is the fact that death is on this earth in the first place. That, 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 that because of sin, there is death. I think when Jesus weeps at the death of Lazarus, he is feeling the weight of the curse on this world. Uh, on this world. I think this is why, of course, why Jesus had to come in the first place. 
He needed to come to defeat sin and Satan and death. And the culmination of his first victory in his first coming is coming again. It was, it was when he comes again when there, when there will be no more death and no more mourning and no more Satan. He will be done away with. He'll be thrown into the lake of fire. That day is coming. And so when, when someone dies, we, we long for that day. Lord, come soon, come soon. This curse of death, it, it, Romans 8, 18 says that the whole creation groans, that it's, 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 it's waiting for that day of redemption. And so it is for all people. We long for the day when there will be no more death. And that day is coming. Is that your hope here this morning? So Abraham, we're told, goes in and he mourns for his wife. He likely starts thinking about all the events of their life. So what we often do when, when a loved one passes away, we, all, our mind is flooded with memories of, of the good times and the hard times. And we've had the privilege of reading for the last 11 chapters the good times and the bad times in the life of Abraham. How their faith was tested, how their faith grew, how God fulfilled his promise and, and gave them the son of promise this 37 years earlier. But a lot of heartache and pain and conflict and not any different than our lives, right? Ups and downs, praises, problems. And so he mourns his wife. But I think as well, as, as, we, as we face death, there is also what do we think about death. And for the believer, there is the reminder that this is not it. Hughes says this, the death of a loved one has always been a time to think about the eternal. The preacher Solomon would write, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Listen, the fact that you are going to die someday should impact how you live today. Like we are all going to give an account someday. We will all pass from this earth someday. We, we ought to live each day with in mind that there will be a day when we're no longer here. And I think as we read about Abraham and as we're about to transition to him trying to figure out how to bury his wife, where he's going to bury his wife, we see that he understands that death is not the end. He, he, he remembers from Genesis 17, 8, that God had promised them an everlasting possession. That, that even with them passing, it's not going to be the end. We as believers also have this hope. The Abrahamic covenant said you will have an everlasting possession. The new covenant tells us that we will also have an everlasting possession. And that death cannot, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that with the passing of death, there is and is hope. This is why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. Again, I encourage you to write the verses down. Look them up for yourself later. But 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57 Paul says this, this, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The believer does not fear death. Why? Because the sting is gone. We know where we're going. We know that, that the cost of our, our sin, which is death, has been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so that is our hope this morning as believers. And so while a, a believer loses a loved one, and this is, of course, when we lose a loved one who was in Christ... We, we weep for them because we're going to miss them. We love them. But we mourn with hope because we're going to see them again. Right? Like, it's, it's just temporary. Like, we're saying goodbye, but it's not forever. We're, we're going we're gonna to see them again. They're going to have a perfect body. We're going to have a perfect body. We're not going to sin anymore. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. And so it's, it's, it's like, 
ah, oh, this life is so hard, but this life is not all there is. And so we mourn with hope. Three facts about death as we face it with hope. Secondly, death is not final. Cling to hope. Death is not final. Cling to hope. As I've already said, death is not it. It's not the final. It doesn't have the final word. And so we cling to hope. Now, you know, as you start studying, as I did this week, and you start kind of looking at the context of everything, you know, you'd understand that, hey, listen, in this time, if someone dies in a foreign land, what they would normally do is then go back to the land that they were from. This is where they would bury their loved ones. They'd go back to the land of their ancestors, and they would bury the loved one there. Abraham is not doing that. Why? Because he wants to take a stake in the ground to say, this is the promised land. This is the land that God has promised to give us. And I want to be in this land, even though we will die and not yet possess it, my ancestors, or sorry, my descendants will. And because of that, I am putting my hope in him. I want, I want God to, to give us a place to bury our dead here. Eight times the phrase, his, my, your, dead, is mentioned in these verses. This is the death of Sarah provides now an urgency to say we need some land here. 62 years, no land. Why? Because he can't buy land. He is a sojourner. He is a foreigner. That's how it works in that society. This is what we need to understand. We're like, well, just save up the money and go buy it. What's the problem? You couldn't. You couldn't do it unless you were showing some benevolence and favor from the people who lived in that land. And and what Abraham's looking for is not just a place to put Sarah. He's looking for a burial site, not just a cave, not just a tomb, but a burial site where she can be buried, but then he can be buried. And those coming after can also be buried. So with all that in mind, he is looking for a piece of land that he can buy and that no one can dispute that it is his. And so as you read 3320, we're going to see this legal language, witnesses, payment, full payment, in the sight of everyone. That's like mentioned over and over and over again. Why? Because it's Abraham's land. And we need to see that. So let's go back. Look at verse 3. Abraham, he rises up from... His time of mourning, we're not, we're not told how long. Uh, likely more than just an hour or two. It would go on days, weeks. But he, after that time, he now he needs to find a place to bury the dead. So he, he, he's, he goes to the Hittites and he says, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. So uh, let me correct that. I... It's not been, it won't be weeks because he needs to bury Sarah earlier. The time of mourning will continue on after he buries her, but he needs, to, he needs to find a spot now. And he states two things about the situation that he's in. He's a sojourner, which means he, he, he's uh, from a, a, a different place. He's not, he's not from there. And, sorry, he, he does not have any land. And then secondly, he is establishing the fact that he's a foreigner, which highlights his socioeconomic dependence. Okay? So again, I go back to the fact he cannot buy anything. So he goes to, as we read the whole context, he goes to the city gate to do business. And as he's there, he's saying, listen, I need your help. Only you can help me. I am in a place as a sojourner, as a foreigner, where I can't do anything about it. And the Hittites answer Abraham. Now listen to this. They say, hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. My Lord. It is a term of respect, right? Someone, it's a respect for someone in a position of greater authority or stature. Uh, There was a lawyer in the first service came up afterwards because I was like, anybody using that term anymore? And he reminded me that in court, often they would say that. They would say, my Lord, right, to the person who was the judge, someone who had authority. And he said, even that is starting to go away. 
in our society. But it was a, it's a term of respect. This, this foreigner, this sojourner, is well thought of by the people there. They see him as a leader. In fact, they call him a prince of God. A prince of God. Now, it's interesting. You look at all the different translations. Some call him mighty prince. Some call him the elect of God. There's this different ways that it's seen. The Septuagint translated it king. But whatever the case, people here see him very differently than he presents himself. He presents himself very humbly as a servant. But they're like, listen, God's with you. God is with you. We see that. He has blessed you. In your 62 years, we have seen him bless you. We're not told all the circumstances as to why they've come to this conclusion. Could be like, hey, we know that there's a treaty with you and Abimelech. Like, we know he's like a ruthless guy and that you got favor with him. We know that you went down to Pharaoh Pharaoh in Egypt and you, you weren't real smart about it, but you still came back with a bunch of stuff, right? Like, clearly, God is with you. Is that how people think of you? Do they think of you that clearly God is with you? I think there's a lot we can learn as we look at the interaction here with Abraham and the Hittites. The Hittites could have said, go pound sand, Abraham, see ya. But they don't. They have a lot of respect for him. And he deals with them very respectfully. Did you note that? Right? He's he's humbling himself before them. He's taking the place of a servant. He's not assuming anything. And so it should be for you and I. Peter calls you sojourners. Did you know that? That that's who you are as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Again, write this down, 1 Peter 2, 11 to 12. And as we look at 1 Peter 2, 11 to 12, we see the example of Abraham ought to be duplicated in the life of you and I as believers. 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What he's saying here is like, look, this is not home. You are sojourners on this earth. You are exiles on this earth. And as you go about, you ought to live a life where you have a good reputation. He recognizes that you call yourself a Christian and somebody's going to badmouth you. Okay? Now, that doesn't happen in Canada, but let's just say it did. Okay? Of course this happens, right? Oh, those Christians. Like, they're just a bunch of haters, Right? And, 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 they, and, they, and they're so backwards in their thinking. Like anybody who would become a Christian has got to be a moron. Right? So um, just as it happened in Peter's day, it happens in our day. But he's saying, listen, let them, when they actually view your life, when they actually know you and they watch the way that you live your life, let them see your good deeds. Right? We can make all kinds of hypotheses about who Christians are, but have you actually met a true believer? I'm not talking about somebody who goes to church and does a check mark. I'm talking about a true follower of Christ. Have you actually met one? Have you seen the way that they live their lives? And we ought to live our lives in such a way that it says here they'll see your good de- deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What, what's interesting here is the day that they would come to faith. They would bring glory to God by watching the way that you lived your life. They would bring glory to God. And the, the double implication here is glorify God on the day of visitation when Christ returns. So, are we living that way as believers? Are you clinging to hope in, in the way that you live your life? Do you have a good reputation? Are you respectful to the unbelievers around you? Do you live so that they might see your good deeds? I'm just reminded over and over and over again, so many people have turned their back on the church, and rightfully so, many times. I talked to two different people in the first service who are just visiting here who come from terrible church backgrounds. 
And by God's grace, they are here today. I, I don't know if they'll be back next week or not. I mean, let's be fair. If, if anybody returns, God's at work in their life, right? Okay? I know what kind of a preacher I am, right? So, but, but it's God's grace in their life that that terrible experience they've had hasn't kept them out of the church forever. And so let's not be a part of the problem is what I'm trying to encourage us to hear this morning. You be a true believer. You be a true follower of Christ and let them see your good deeds as you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's look back again at Abraham. So they're like, hey, you can take a tomb, right? Take a tomb. Here's, here's their response. Or sorry, they, their response is that you can take a tomb. Now, he's not just looking for a tomb. He's not just looking for a place to, to like expedite, to, to put Sarah away. He's looking for a burial place. So now in his response, he, he's like, okay, I appreciate that. Let me get more specific as to what I'm looking for. He again bows to the people, humility. Verse 8, if you're willing that I should bury my dead of my sight, hear me. And could you guys help me out? I, I, Ephron, do you guys know Ephron, the son of Zohar? Can you talk to him for me? Because he's got this cave at the end of his land. It's not, it's not even like in the center or whatever. It's just at the end of the field. And that's where I'd like to buy. I'd like to buy that, 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 that site right there so that I might bury my dead. Could you talk to him for me? It seems to think, he seems to think he'll have more favor if the Hittites go as a kind of a mediator for him. Now, what he doesn't know is that Ephron is there. Right? Now, now, so obviously there's more than just a couple people there. But Ephron speaks up. He's like, hey, I'm here. And he says to the people at the gate of the city, why, why are we using this language? Legal ceremony. They're, like this is, this is, everything's being done by the book is what we need to hear here. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field. And I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Now, it's hard to know what to do with Ephron. Is he truly being benevolent? It's hard to know. It seems like he's a good negotiator. Because with each thing, he kind of, he, he's like, you know, he just stretches it a little bit more, right? I'll, I, hey, I'd give it to you. I'm going to give you the field as well. What's he saying? I don't want to just give you the cave. I, I, at the end, I, I want to give you the whole field. Like if, this, if we're doing this transaction, you're not just taking part of it, you're going to take the whole field. But I'll give it to you. In the sight of all, I'll give it to you. What if Abraham said, sweet, thanks? Well, at any point, that land could be taken back again. It's just like a, just like a, a, a you know, a, some, a gift. But there, there is no, like, he didn't pay the full price. So, so, Abraham knows that, and so he responds. And Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. Again, humility. And he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, in other words, in front of all the witnesses, but if you will, hear me. I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Listen, I need to pay. I want to pay. I'll pay the full price. I, I want this to be a permanent dwelling for our dead. So would you... Please accept the price of the field for me. So Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Is he saying, still don't worry about paying it to me? No, he's saying, pay me 400 shekels. But he says it in a real nice way, Right? And there's whole kinds of debate. Was, this, was he getting ripped off? Was Abraham getting ripped off or not? We don't know for sure. In the first service, I alluded to the fact that David paid 50 shekels to the temple site. And then someone kindly pointed out to me in First Chronicles, it's actually 600 shekels of gold that is the full payment. So anyway, is he being ripped off? We don't know. That's the whole point. But it seems to be, and this is where most commentators lean, it seems like he's just kind of working the whole system here a little bit, Ephron. But we don't know for sure. 
The focus isn't Ephron, it's Abraham. Abraham believes the Lord God has given him, to, given him that land, and so he's buying a, a piece of the promised land with the promise in mind. So Abraham listens to Ephron. He weighs out, the, the, weighs out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. Why? Witnesses. How much was it? 400 shekels of silver according to the weight of the merchants. In other words, everything's done by the book. It wasn't 398 shekels. It was 400 as was measured out. And so he's, he has, he's bought the land down. It is in his possession. So the field of Ephron and Machpelah, you know, east of Mamre, you guys know that place? The field with the cave that was in it and all the trees are in there. It's all his. He, he doesn't get just the burial site. He gets the piece of land as well. And, and there's this sliver of land now that will be a, 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 an example, a, 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 a down payment, so to speak, of the land that will be theirs. He is a man of faith. He has nothing until he buys this piece of land. And the only reason he's buying it is so that the people, his, uh, sorry, his descendants can be buried there. Calvin puts it like this, while they themselves were silent in death, the sepulchre cried aloud that death formed no obstacle to their entering in possession of it. And that is into possession of the promised land. And hundreds of years later, after Sarah is buried there, Abraham's buried there, Isaac's buried there, Rebekah, Jacob, Leah, they're all buried here. And Joseph, when he's in Egypt, he says, would you take my bones back to there when we go inherit the promised land? And so there's this, there's this peace that reminds them of the hope that is coming. They, they cling to that hope in this life. We read in Hebrews 11, 9 and 10, by faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So it wasn't even just about the promised land. He's looking forward to the city. He's looking forward to heaven. So it is for you and I here this morning. Anyone here desiring to see God's kingdom come, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven? Is that our desire here? Do, do, do we long for the day when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Well, between now and the fulfillment of that, there's some work to do. As we leave this place, we go and we proclaim the hope of the gospel. We tell people that that Christ's kingdom is coming, that they can become a part of Christ's kingdom even today if they would repent of their sins and place their hope and trust in him, then they could become sons of God. They become children of God. That, that they, they can become a part of his kingdom coming on earth now. They become a part of the church, become a part of the body of Christ as we await the fulfillment of the fullness of the kingdom coming. And so there's these pockets throughout our earth today that remind us of the fact that the kingdom of God is coming. All over the earth we have these, this, this down payment, this reminder of the fulfillment of the promise that is coming. And so this is, just as Abraham bought the piece of land, so you and I are going out and buying land, so to speak, right? Because we believe this is not it. Which brings us to the last point. Death is not successful. Live in hope. Death is not successful. Live in hope. Flip over to Hebrews 11 as we close this morning. Hebrews 11, 13 to 16. I want us just to think about the implications of how Abraham lived and what the implications are for you and I today. Ross says this, God's promises to people in this life are not ex exhausted within their lifespans. For God makes promises that demand a resurrection. The time of death is, at, at, is a time of great mourning, but it also should be the time of the greatest demonstration of faith. 
for the recipients of God's promises have hope beyond the grave. This is not it. Just in case you're wondering, this is not heaven. For the believer, this is the only hell you will know. This is not heaven. The promises that God gives to you will not all be fulfilled in this life. There are so much, there's so much more to come. And this is how, as you read Hebrews 11, this is how everybody lives. Look down at verse 13 of Hebrews 11. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. As, you, as we're going to continue through the book of Genesis, we've already seen that, that God is called what? The God of Abraham. Then he'll be called the God of Isaac. Then he'll be called the God of Jacob. He's not ashamed to be called their God. And he has prepared for them a city, the the heavenly city. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are having a party still thousands of years later in heaven because of their faith in him. What is your retirement plan? Let me, let, me, let me just you know, let you think about that for a minute. What's your retirement plan? Now, some of you, an age popped into your mind, right? 55. <laughs> Forget that 65 thing. 55. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be retired by then. I'm going to kick out my feet. Well, that's a terrible retirement plan. The retirement plan for all of us that you should be thinking of is the finish line, the true finish line. 65 is just a number. If you want to work somewhere different than when you're currently working and you want to put full-time 100% of your time into the kingdom of God, amazing, right? You should be doing that while you do whatever other work you're doing anyways, but you're still on the clock until you cross the finish line. And the retirement plan that y'all should be thinking about is what? That we are not done until we get to heaven. And then we will have eternal things to enjoy. And so as you think about how is my investments going, your investments should be thinking of, am I leading anyone to Christ? Am I, am, am I walking in faithfulness to the Lord God? Am I serving his body? These are the things that we should be thinking about in our retirement plan. Because why? Because we believe what Job believed. Job 19, 25 and 26. Job 19, 25 and 26. Job says this, for I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. I love, like so long even before Christ came, this was being prophesied. My Redeemer lives. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. We believe as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as my breathe my last, I enter into the kingdom of God in fullness. I enter into the presence of God. And I will see God. This is what we believe. For, for the world, it seems like craziness. But for the believer, this is our hope this morning. That as I expire on this earth, I then see God. I find my faith becomes sight. And so because we believe that, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, we live differently on this earth. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. It says this, if you then have been raised with Christ, which we all have who are in Christ here this morning... We have died to our old life. We've been raised to new life in Christ Jesus. Our our, our hope is certain in him. We've been raised with Christ. Seek then, he says, the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Is that your hope here this morning? My life is hidden with Christ in God. I have become a new creation, and that will be revealed on the last day when I will be with him. When, I, and when he appears, I will also appear with him in glory. My, my salvation is sure in him. My new life is sure in him. So now, as a result of that, as a result of my hope in that, I do two things. I seek not the things that are on this earth. I seek the things that are above. In other words, my whole motivation for living has changed. My whole direction for living has changed. I no longer seek earthly treasure. I seek heavenly treasure. Hughes puts it like this. Like Abraham, by faith, we invest in the promise, giving generously of our possessions and wealth for the preaching of the word to the ends of the earth, laying up indestructible treasures, investing our time and our whole lives in kingdom expansion. In so doing, we declare by faith that we are heirs of the promise, even if our circumstances declare it is not so. On this earth, you may not have much, but you are building towards the kingdom by investing in the kingdom of God. How are you using all of the resources God has given you to see his kingdom come? How are you using your time, your gifts, your talents, your money to see his kingdom come? We don't seek the things that are here on this earth. Rather, we're setting our minds on things that are above. We don't care about the trivial things of this life, the ups and the downs of the economy. Oh, we're going into recession. If you've been on the earth for any length of time, again, right? We, we don't, oh, great, the recession, okay. The economy gets better, the economy gets worse. Sometimes the government, you, you, you appreciate, sometimes not as much so. Like all of these things, they come and they go, but what is eternal is what we should be focused on. You should care a whole lot less about a recession than you care about your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus Christ because his soul is eternal. That's what you need to be consumed with. How do I help my brothers and sisters to, to walk out their faith, to, to, to encourage them, to strengthen them? How do, I, how do I reach the lost? These are the things that the believer ought to be consumed with. Our reality is not the same as the world's. We have certainty about what happens after death. We're not wondering about it. We know 100% what's going to happen because we know Jesus Christ who has purchased it all. So we do not fear death. It's not successful. It only opens the door for eternal life. Amen? So lastly, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Sarah, in her lifetime, had experienced light momentary affliction. She had experienced many trials in her life, but now she's enjoying the eternal weight of glory. Paul, as he's writing this, you know, his, you know, light momentary affliction, you know, beatings and almost died and shipwrecks and prison, you know, the, like the small things of life that you and I all go through, right? <laughs> I mean, nobody here is like, oh, my life was way worse than Paul's. And yet he calls it light momentary affliction. Why? Because it's short, it's just here and then gone, and then we have eternity waiting for us. This morning, you could be going through just a real painful time in your life and real trials. I'm not trying to belittle that in any way, but what I would want you to hear is that it is temporary. It is a short thing. So get believers around you to strengthen you, encourage you, and then get your eyes on things above Eternity is waiting. Cling to him. Live for him. Live in hope knowing 
that, that this is just a short time and then we will be with him for all of eternity. There's a lot being made of what it means to be a citizen of Canada these days. But I would have you remember this morning that your citizenship is not here if you're in the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 20 and 21, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to become like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Listen, heaven is your home. You're not there yet. You're tenting. So live accordingly. We do not fear death. It's not final. It's not successful. It's not normal. Christ is coming, and he's going to change it all. So let us cling to hope. Let us live in hope for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful that we do not need to fear death this morning. Lord, that's an exception to many on this earth. Lord, between now and the time that we see you face to face, Lord, would you find us faithful? Lord, would you help us to live out our hope so that others might be drawn to the hope that is in you? Lord, help us to be respectful. Let it help us to, to be humble before those around us, just as we see the example of Abraham here. Lord, just as Abraham was convinced of the covenant that you had made with him, Lord, help us to be convinced of the covenant that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to bring glory and honor to you. God, I pray for anyone here today who maybe still does not know you. God, would you show them you love them, you care for them? That despite whatever hurt they've had in the past, Lord, you are the great comforter. That, Lord, you long to help them, to come alongside them, to call them your children. Lord, if they would just repent of their sins and place their hope and trust in you. Not just for the day, but for all of eternity. God, I pray, Lord, would you do that work in their lives. Lord, as we leave this place, we pray that you would use us. To your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca.